Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Well, it's great to see you on this Sunday morning. Last week, I wasn't worth seeing. I knew I was getting better about, I don't know, Tuesday or Wednesday when I could actually sleep in a real bed and not in a chair. Have you ever been there? Yeah. Well, you don't ever want to visit, but if you have to, you do. But it's great to see you. I love being in the land of the living. I hate living in the land of the dead. So God is a God of resurrection. Amen? Ways large and small. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the opening to John's great prologue, John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Thus far in our series, we've started at the end. Instead of starting at the beginning, we started at the end, and we looked carefully at what John said was the purpose or the reason for his writing. And he says, I'm writing these things in John 20, 31. I'm writing these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We define saving belief as belief that Jesus is the Son of God and belief in him as the Son of God so that your life rests on him. Your trust, your confidence is in him. Now, in these first 18 verses of the gospel, what we find as John opens up this gospel is we find him introducing uh, a question and answering it at the same time. And the question is simply this, who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? With his opening answer, we discover John doing something extraordinary. We find him bringing out his biggest and his boldest discoveries about Jesus right from the start. He he starts with his greatest, his greatest insight. And he says effectively from the very start, Jesus is nothing like you might expect. In fact, with him I've learned to expect the unexpected. He's unlike anyone you've ever known. And I can't wait to tell you his story. Let me introduce you. Give me the chance to introduce you. Hear me all the way through to the end. Give me a chance to introduce to you the unexpected Jesus. Like any good author who wants those who are reading the book that he's writing to read all the way through to the very end, He starts in the most powerful way possible so that he can capture your attention and mine. And this is what he says. Here we are. John chapter one, beginning at verse one. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, in the passage before us, we find John doing what is humanly impossible. 
we find John introducing the God of the universe to his humanity, to his human creation. And what is more, he does it in 18 verses. And his ability to pull this off actually points to divine help for who can introduce God but God. But the method that he uses, I find intriguing. It is the same method you and I use when we introduce uh, ourselves to others or when we introduce other people to, to others. It's the same pattern. It's the same pattern. I, I heard this uh, mnemonic one time. It's a great device. If you ever want to start a conversation, you ever want to get to know someone, uh, or you, you want to know exactly what you should be saying as you're introducing one person to another, and, and the device is this. When you're introducing yourself or when you're introducing others, tell them your name, your game, your story, and then I like to add a fourth one, your glory. Now that sounds like you're bragging, but let me unpack these. If, if I introduce you to someone else, I need to give your name, your game, your story and your glory. Your name, of course, is that title that your parents gave you or that uh, nickname perhaps that your friends gave you. Uh, more than likely, you're not gonna use that. But your name and then your game is your activity, your, your life's investment. What do you do? What do you do? Where do you work? What do you like to do? Your name, your game, your story is your history. Where have you been? What have you done? What, what, what kind of journey has your life taken you? And typically we can encapsulate those things. And as soon as you, as you think about it, you start with a name, um, uh, uh, Eric Jones, and then you say, Eric Jones, the, uh, the banker, Eric Jones, the uh, woodworker, Eric Jones, the mechanic, Eric Jones, the lawyer, whatever. As soon as that happens, you start to load up meaning into that name. Ah, Eric's a, Eric's a, a woodworker. Oh, he's, he's, a, he's a lawyer. And I start to make associations. He's an engineer, whatever. I start to make associations with that name. Well, what's, what's your story? Well, I, I did this, I did that. I was born here and did that and this. And all of a sudden, these associations start to grow. The glory part, which sounds a little odd or awkward, actually is what, what have you done with your life that matters? What, what is the significance that, well, I've had three kids. Well, that's significant. Uh, I worked for so-and-so for three decades. Okay, okay. What have you done with your life? Where, where, where have you gone with it? That kind of thing. What's your glory? It's the, 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 the glory is what they'll talk about at your funeral. If you've got a nice preacher preaching your funeral. You, that's what'll happen. Yeah. So you better sign up for me now. You better sign up for me now. Uh, but it is, it's what we call a eulogy, okay? It's, it's what, what was unique about them that was worth memory, uh, remembering. Name, game, glory, story. What you find is John follows this very same pattern in verses 1 through 18. He gives Jesus' name in verses one to two. He reveals his gamer's occupation, that, that purposeful activity in verses three to five. He tells the essence of Jesus' story in verses six through 12, and then he unpacks Jesus' glory in verses 13 through 18. His name is game, his glorious story. 
And in doing so, what he's, he's, he's aiming to accomplish is, is, as I said earlier, he wants his readers to stay with him to the end because he believes if they do, what he has to say, the story he has to tell about Jesus will radically change their lives, their destinies in the world. And so we begin today in verses one to five with that special name for Jesus that uh, John uses and assigns to Christ and then his, his great game or his great occupation. And I want you to look with me there. In verses one to five, John effectively presents us with what he came to understand about Jesus regarding who Jesus of Nazareth is, what Jesus was about, and why Jesus matters far more than anyone could imagine. Who Jesus of Nazareth is, what Jesus is about, and why Jesus matters far more than anyone could imagine. For those who didn't know about Jesus and, and hadn't put their faith in him, this was a necessary first step for them. But for those who are already believers, and I think this is part of the reason why the Gospel of John has such power for believers, for those who are already believers, what is found here? When you hear it, when you understand it, this is the source of our indescribable joy. This is where our joy comes from. This is where our peace comes from. It is in who Jesus is and what he is about. What John shares here for believers is the ultimate foundation for their lives. Oh, and the more you dig into these, this is what I've found even as I've studied this. I've been studying John since, I don't know, uh, I guess in, the, in, in July, getting ready for the series. But there are just moments when you start to understand what it is John is saying about Jesus where you, you find yourself literally speechless. You go, I... I th I know him and I thought I knew him well, but I have no words. I have no words. I have no words. And it all begins in John 1, 1. So I want to dive with you this morning into John's extraordinary introduction to the unexpected Jesus, because he's giving an introduction of Jesus to a world that does not know him, but then he's also doing something else. He's offering a fresh reintroduction of Jesus to those who already know him, an introduction that I'm telling you never grows old, but is always new and always so refreshing. All right. Now, this is going to be a little heavy in parts. Are you ready? Are you had your coffee? We're good. Let's go. Are you ready? Let's go. All right, we're ready. First of all, look with me at verses one and two. The name, who Jesus of Nazareth really is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
Now, to introduce the unexpected Jesus, John uses an unexpected uh, introduction. Now, watch this. Where Matthew's gospel opens with the story of Abraham, and then he traces Jesus' lineage from Abraham. And where, where Mark's gospel opens with a brief mention of the Old Testament prophets and says, this was the one of whom they spoke. And where Luke's gospel begins with Adam, I mean, he goes all the way back to creation and traces Jesus' lineage. John's gospel starts even farther back. John starts before time existed and before there was an Abraham, before there were prophets and before there was an, an Adam. And echoing the language of Genesis 1-1, John starts in the beginning with God and, and, and with something rather mysterious that he calls the word. Now notice what John says or shows us about this mysterious word. It is preexistent, it is present, and it is personal. Preexistent, present, personal. This word, whatever it is, preexistent, present, personal. Uh, notice it's preexistent, this word. It is in the beginning and is therefore at, at the beginning and, and before the beginning of time and is eternal. Now, this can be odd to our ears because we hear the word word and we think either of, of, a, of, of, a, of a term or we think of a message. And it isn't normal for us to be thinking about a word or a message floating about in timeless eternity. In fact, very few of us ever think about timeless eternity. How many of you thought about timeless eternity this week? That's what I suspected. We live in the here, we live in the now. But if you've heard the Genesis account of creation, it all begins to make sense. Genesis says, in the beginning, God created. He spoke into the darkness of nothing and something came to be. Where there was nothing, something. God spoke into nothing, something. So this word, whatever it is, from eternity had the extraordinary indescribable power to bring something out of nothing. But John doesn't stop there. He makes the identity of this word even clearer as he says that this word was also present with God. The phrase was with God suggests two things. It suggests a presence with the person who is God and a relationship or a fellowship with God. God here for John is the God, of course, of the Old Testament, the one whom Jesus would call later or describe later as my father. And so this mysterious word belongs to God and belongs with God, but there is something yet more, and it is most unexpected. The word was personal. The word was a person. John says at the end of verse one, and then in verse two, the word was God. And then notice verse two, how he begins it. He he, he, not a power, a person, a person. He was in the beginning with God. And that means that the word is not merely the property of God or not, is not merely from God or merely like God, but he is God. Now, if this feels like too much to take in, in some ways it is, uh, we have here one of the most important proofs and indicators of the doctrine of the Trinity, which affirms that God is one, but it is at the same time one God in three persons. And we mustn't shy away from this, though John doesn't tell us everything we might want to know. But this word, he says, has all the attributes and all the qualities that God has, but is distinct from the God Jesus knew as Father. The word is God. The word has all of God there is to have, but is not all there is to God. There is more to God. 
This word is fully God, but God is not fully the word. There is more to him. To put it as theologians do, the word shares the essence of who the father, of what the father is, but is distinct from who the father is as a person. This is how the word can be a person with God and be God at the same time. And this is, we're beginning to see then, is how the doctrine of the Trinity comes to explain and reflect the God who is presented in the Old and New Testaments. One God, one substance, one essence, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Ultimately, I want you to look with me, glance down. We're going to cheat here just a little bit. Verses 14 and 17. See John's big reveal of who this word uh, is? It happens later in verses 14 and 17 where he says, in these famous words, and the word became flesh. The word, preexistent, personal, present with God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Why? For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through. Here it is. Are you ready? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth is this pre-existent, present, and personal word that was with God from the beginning. Now, let me remind you of something here. This is an extraordinary conclusion for John to draw. Of all the disciples, he knew Jesus best. He was closest to him. And the good and the great human beings among us have, have always had extraordinary qualities that we admire. Think of the greatest person you've ever known. The person who made the greatest mark, left the greatest mark on you. Or the person from history who, who uh, uh, has impressed you and impacted you the most. The good and the great human beings among us all have extraordinary qualities that we admire because they're so exceptional, particularly when compared to ours. But every one of them has had people near them, close to them, who having watched them not only affirm their, their greatness, but also their stubborn weaknesses and failures as well. One of the great gifts to great people are people near them who are able to say, yeah, you're just my dad. Or you're just my mother. Or you're my brother. I remember you when you were three and you... There's a humbling quality about those who are nearest to us which makes this all the more extraordinary. Does that make sense to you? There are people who worship Elvis Presley. There's an Elvis Presley cult. Priscilla Presley is not in the cult. <laughs> she knows. Some of you are going, who is Elvis Presley? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Google it after the service. He wasn't even in my, my day either. So, I mean, I just know some people are really super impressed with him and all this. Uh, but anyway, 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 Priscilla's not in the cult. She's, she's not. John, 
was as close as you could get to Jesus. And he said, here's what I found. Preexistent, present, personal, God. Powerful. He doesn't blink an eye. He offers no apology. He is sure that the unchanging title or name for Jesus of Nazareth is the word. This is his distinguishing mark. This is who he is. And it is this word story that John is about to tell. Do you know him? Do you know him? And when was the last time you fell on your face before him speechless? Or the best you could do was to say, Lord, I have no words. Secondly, notice with me in verse 3, the game, what Jesus is about. John says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, following the practice of every great introduction, John adds to the sharing of his name. He adds an explanation of this word's chief occupation. And I didn't really like using game as something related to Jesus. It's a little off-putting for me, but the, you know, I didn't create the mnemonic device. Somebody else did, so I'm blaming them. But it rhymed, you know, name, game, story, and then I added glory. So we got rhyming going on all over. And you will remember this name, game, story, glory. You're going to remember this. And uh, I hope it helps you in your business life or whatever, but I really am wanting it to help you in your spiritual life. All right, so here is, here is the game. Here is the distinguishing activity, the distinguishing purpose. Inevitably, we, we want to ask this question, so what do you do? What did you do if you're retired? What did you do? What do you do? Uh, even if you are retired, what do you like to do? I mean, vocations, avocations, all those kinds of, what do you do? What do you do with your life? How have you spent yourself? That's a really good question. How have you spent yourself? How are you spending yourself? You do know you're spending yourself every, every day of the week, right? How are you spending yourself? It's a great question. We want to know how, how that's done. Now, we know, of course, that Jesus from Matthew 6 was known by his contemporaries to be a craftsman. He was a woodworker, a carpenter. But here, John tells us that this Jesus, as the Word, who was with God and is God, is far more. He is actually the explanation. He is the explanation. He is the explanation. You got a question? Ultimately, Jesus is the explanation. He is the explanation. He's the explanation for, everything, for how everything came to be and why there is right now a lot of something and not just nothing. He is the reason there is a something, a cosmos and a world. And, and it is because through this Jesus, God spoke it all into existence according to his own design and his own desire. 
every single thing and every single person we see and experience, John says, was made. And the word was present to make it and to make them. Everything we see and experience is related to him and ultimately anchored in him. Even if it is twisted, even if it is broken, at the origin of everything, there is Jesus. Everything we see and experience apart from sin is what it is and the way it is by his design and by his desire, including you and including me. Which by the way, let me, let me add this. This is why Christians are so very careful and respectful with other human beings, especially and even if they don't deserve it because every human being was made in the image of God by God, by his own choice, by his own design, and by his own desire. This is why we as followers of Christ, we stand for life. We stand for life for those who are elderly, for those who have suffered deformities, for those who have suffered accidents, for those who have suffered whatever they have suffered. Even the most evil person on the planet bears at some level the image of God. And while we may hold them accountable, we don't lose sight of the fact that even Putin was made in the image of God. We should be the ones who bear the greatest respect for the unborn, for the elderly, for every person who struggles with a body that is broken or hurting. Because our God and our Savior is the Word. There is no cheap human life. So every human being exists by God's decision. They are who they are in personality and ability by his design in Jesus. And by the way, can I just keep making application? Well, thank you, I will. Um, this means too that Christians are very careful and respectful with themselves. They know that they are who they are they have what they have in terms of their gifts and their abilities by God's desire and by God's design. We offend the God who was so good to us to give us life when we look at another person and we say, oh, I wish I had that. Or I wish I were more like that. I wish I were taller. I wish I were Shorter, I wish I, I could do this. I wish I could do that. I, no, you, we, 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 we must be very, very careful. I want to remind you, and this is just a quick word, and then we're going to press on, but I want to remind you that everything you have and everything you are is by God's design and desire. If you can't do something, it's by his design. If you can do something, it's by his design. You don't get the credit. 
He gets the credit, but he also deserves that you take and you use what you have and what you are for his glory. Which is why I I love to say to you, and I have over the years, be yourself at your best under Christ. You are the way you are and who you are, your personality, your giftings, all those kinds of things for a reason. Stop trying to be somebody else. You're lousy at it. We all know it. We just want you to know it. We need you to be you under Christ. Under Christ. All right, I'm, have I done enough of that? Oh, you just want me to come? Okay. There is more here, though. I do want you to see this. Jesus' uh, creating work is not his greatest work. There is a greater, greater work, just the creation of things. There's, it's not his greatest work. It's not his greatest achievement. It's not his greatest activity. What is it? Well, look at verse 4. I love this. John says that whatever has life owes it to Christ. Life, if you really want to know what Jesus' game is, what he's all about, he's all about ultimately life. Life is Jesus' game. Life is his purpose. And when it comes to human life in particular, with that life, John says, comes a light. Now let's unpack these, can we? First, life is found in Christ, in the word, in this Jesus Christ. This explains why life, like belief, is a recurring theme for John. He, he uses it some 36 times in this gospel. 25% of the uses of the word life are found in this one gospel in the New Testament. The life of which John speaks is, 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 is critical, and I don't want you to miss this. You've got to understand this. The life that Jesus gives is life that is both physical. We think of that. We're living now. We owe our lives to Christ. Is both physical, but it is also spiritual. Now, here's, I want you to see this. When the word was at work in, in creation, giving life to human beings, He was giving life that was both physical and spiritual and he never intended for that life to be separated. He made us living beings, living physically and spiritually in the presence of God, able to fellowship with God. Real life is physical and spiritual. And if you ever stop living spiritually, then you are never really living at all. This is why Jesus came and said, I have come that they might have life and might have it to the full, might have it abundantly. Life is a matter of of living physically and spiritually. Now, we know the story, right? The story of the fall of humanity. What happened when humanity fell? We died. Adam and Eve died. Though physically they lived on, spiritually they died. The way Paul puts it in Ephesians is that all of humanity since the fall is dead in trespasses and sins. But here's the good word. This same word, this Jesus who created life and gave life at the beginning still does now what he did then. Because he is eternal and because he's unchanging, his game then is his game now. And I love this. Our God is a God of life. 
If you want to know what Jesus is for, Jesus is for life. Jesus is for life in your children. Jesus is for life in your marriage. Jesus is for life in your workplace. Jesus is for life in your community. He is for life physical and spiritual. Jesus is for life. If you want to know his game, if you want to know his activity, it is always life. If life is in it, Jesus is behind it. If life is in it, Jesus is behind it, real life. Now notice something, this is curious. John makes it clear that with the life the word gives, there comes a light as well. The light Jesus gives, John says, with the life he gives is the light of humanity. And that light is, is the truth by which humanity can and should live to the full. So creation and new creation show us that the creating word is also the revealing word. The word who gives us life is also the word who shows us, uh, gives us light and, and causes us to know how to live and why. Through him we can see and know reality. We see and know the way things really are and are meant to be physically and spiritually by him. We can see and know who God is and what he is like. And that is why Paul says, for example, in Romans 1, that what can be known about God is plain to all humanity because God has shown it to them. Why? Because with creation and with life, there comes a light from his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. These things have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, Paul says, in the things that were made. With the creation and with the living, there comes a light. By Jesus, the creator of life with light, humanity can also know what God wants of us. Paul says later in Romans that the good law of God for life is actually written on the hearts of every human being. There's not going to be a human being who, who, who is able to say, I didn't know. I didn't know stealing was wrong. I didn't know deceit was wrong. I had no idea. No, no. The law of God is actually written on the hearts of humanity. We twist it, we distort it, but the, it's there. This is why guilt is such a problem for humanity is we can't get away from what God has written on our hearts. Have you ever sinned? Okay, good, good answer. Good answer. It took me a decade and a half to get you to do that that fast. I used to ask that question and we would just sit, crickets. It's like, we're not supposed to admit that in church. But anyway, yes, you know the pain of the guilt, right? And if you're a believer, it's in part because of the work of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit of God. But part of it is the law of God is written in your heart and you cannot get away from it. Later, Jesus himself will explain that same light that he granted at creation as something that he brings with even greater clarity in his incarnation, in his coming to this world. He says later in John 14, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. 
by Jesus, the life and the light of the world, we can know why we are here, why our lives matter, what our lives are meant for, and where life is heading for eternity. So the game or the ultimate activity of Jesus of Nazareth is that of the eternal world, word. And that game is life. He is the only and the ultimate life giver. See, everything, everything, what this means is that everything you and I ever needed or wanted in order to really live is found exclusively in him. This is why he is life. Go anywhere, pursue anything, you will always come up empty. The only place you will ever find fulfillment, the only way your, your empty places will ever be topped off is in the living presence of the living Jesus, he is all you ever will need. Stop looking for light and life anywhere else. There is nowhere else. It is this creator's story that John tells when he tells the story of Jesus. And now you can begin to see why it is that every parable of Jesus, every teaching of Jesus is so important because it's shot through with light. Do you want to know how to live? Listen to Jesus. Do you want to know how to live? Watch Jesus. There is no better place to go than to the gospels. To the, to the rest of the New Testament that unpacks the meaning of the Gospels. It's here. It's here. Finally, I want you to see with me why Jesus matters far more than anyone could imagine. John chapter 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Where the beginning of the story of the Word and of the human story that Jesus began is one of light and life in the beginning. The story of humanity actually became one of death and darkness. And we read verse 5, and, we, and the, the notion of darkness is introduced here. And we might ask, why is there darkness after the word created light? Why, why was darkness not banished somehow when the light came? We're not told. What we are told in Genesis 1 is that God spoke by his word into a darkness that Genesis 1 says, that covered the face of the deep, and God said, let there be light. And a light came into that darkness and pierced it and separated it. The picture that Genesis 1 gives us of this darkness is, is of a lifeless kind of nothingness, a dead chaos. And into that nothingness and meaninglessness, God's word and his work came, bringing something and meaning where there had been nothing in meaninglessness. The light God brought didn't eliminate the darkness, but it banished it wherever it shined. And what happened then, John takes pains to show us, is still happening now. John says, notice the tense of verse five, the light that was there at creation, what is the tense? It's present tense. That light shines now. It continues to shine in the darkness. 
the light and life of the same word that worked in the first creation is at work today in a second creation, a new creation, and the light of the life he brings shines in the darkness that we find ourselves smothered with and dying from. Light still shines. I was in Dallas, Texas two Sundays ago uh, before I contracted the plague and uh, <laughs> we were visiting my son and his family and uh, so we had a great, great weekend uh, together and um, I ordered an Uber to go from their home to Dallas-Fort Worth to the airport. So we got into this Uber and uh, Cheryl and I in the back and uh, a young man in the front, his name, we'll just call him Sebastian. And uh, he was a talker. And uh, so, you know, it's interesting. Uber has this little place where you can mark it. I don't want to be talked to or you talk my head off. It's, it doesn't say that exactly, but you, chick, you click one of the boxes. And if you don't click any box, I guess they talk anyway or they do whatever they want. So uh, we're riding and he was a talker. And so we, we began to, Cheryl and I are really good about asking questions to get others to talk about themselves. And uh, after a long weekend with, with a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, we probably just needed him to talk. Uh, and so he was just telling us about his life and, and so on and so forth. And me being, you know, a follower of Jesus, I couldn't help it. But I said, well, what's your religious background? Oh, he said, well, I've got some uncles who are pagan, and uh, I, I grew up Roman Catholic. Uh, I married a Korean, and she's Roman Catholic, and we have a son, but we're not, we're not really active in religion anymore. I said, oh. I said, well, tell me, tell me about that. Well, here's the truth. I asked these questions way too late. I let him talk too much before I asked the religion questions because we were getting closer and closer to Dallas-Fort Worth. And uh, which meant that my window of opportunity was doing, like going, doing this. And uh, so he, he said, well, I said, tell me, tell me about that. Why, why aren't you active? He said, well, the way I was raised, he said, we, were, we had to go to mass all the time and had to confess. And I didn't, I didn't really like that. And so basically what he was saying was, I've rejected the church and I've rejected the way church was done. And consequently, I've rejected Jesus is really what he was saying. And he said, you know what I've decided about my son? I said, no, tell me tell me, but hurry, uh, tell me, what have you decided about your son? And he said, uh, well, he said, I've decided that I'm going to let him make up his own mind. And I'm thinking, oh, goodness. Just, he said, yeah, I'm just going to let him explore. And I'm thinking, you know, of course, how is he going to explore if you're not giving him something to explore? Uh, but anyway, I'm just going to let him explore, and make his own decision. And then he said something, and it was like, Oh, how dark the darkness. Just kind of almost an offhand comment. He said, he said you know, here's the truth. If he, if he becomes a Christian, that's fine with me. He said, I don't care if he's an atheist. I don't care if he's an agnostic. I don't care if he's a Satanist. And I thought, oh, goodness gracious. I just, and then he said, I just want him to live a good life and to be good. And I, I thought to myself, oh, how dark. Of course, now we're pulling up to terminal whatever. And I could only get out a couple of choice words, you know. And I, oh, it was just, it was awful. It was awful, but it was a powerful reminder of the darkness. Do you see what had happened in his life? He hadn't rejected Jesus. 
He'd never seen the light of Jesus. He'd never heard the light of Jesus. He'd never been exposed to the light of Jesus. For him, Jesus was a matter of attending a a service and of doing certain rituals. He had rejected those things, but he had never come face to face with the real Jesus. And so he can equate Jesus with with, uh, 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 no belief in God, a doubt about God, or even Satanism because he has no reference point. He's in darkness, cannot see. So here is an application, and I'm about to run out of time. The light shines in the darkness, John says, and and the darkness hasn't overcome it. The darkness cannot deny the light, but look, the light has got to shine. And part of what Jesus meant when he said, I am the light of the world, and then later said, you are the light of the world is, he said to us, essentially, you've got to reflect my light and tell my story and tell about me if anyone is ever going to be able to believe in me. And the great need of Sebastian in that Uber The Lord bless him somewhere in Dallas today. With light is my prayer. The great tragedy is he has never seen the light of Jesus. And chances are incredibly good that there is somebody near you who has never really seen the light of Jesus. They may even say they reject Christ. But dig into that more than likely. What they're rejecting is hearsay or a misunderstanding. Now, there are people who hear the gospel straight up and they reject it. I understand that. But there are many, 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 many people who have yet to actually encounter the light that Jesus is and the light that he actually gives. We in 2022 live and find ourselves smothered with and dying from darkness. I told Cheryl uh, just yesterday, I said, you know, after COVID and the social unrest and all the chaos, now a war. And threat of nuclear action. It's like, can things get any darker? And of course the answer is yes, but don't you grow weary of that? Now be honest, don't you find yourself going, I just wish things were back the way they used to be like 2019? It's like, can we just rewind this? I have one word for you. The light still shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. If the light lives in you, You cannot be brought down. 
saw a brother in uh, Ukraine giving a report, Baptist leader. They asked him, are you going to leave? He said, no, not leaving. We're staying. Why? Because the people who are coming to invade us need us. <laughs> Sounds so much like Jesus, I, I tell you. Uh, we're going to be there to serve them and to, to serve our own people. We're not going anywhere. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. It just cannot. And this is why I say this is the source of our greatest joy. This is the source of our greatest peace. This is the source of our greatest strength. It is who Jesus is. It is his name and it is his game. His name is the eternal word of life and his game is life and he cannot be defeated. Welcome to John. One, one, verses one through five. Behold, the word of God. And all God's people said, amen. amen and amen. Father God, how we are grateful for your word. Preexisted, present with you, personal. whose game is life, a life that comes with light and who gives us an extraordinary set of reasons to live with boldness and courage. We are so thankful for him. And Lord, the more we think on these five verses, we find ourselves speechless. for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.